The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Another edition of Rediscovering the Indies, an independent wrestling history podcast brought to you by the BICBP Radio Network. I'm Chris Gello, joined alongside Jonathan Ash. Hello. And uh, we are finishing off the saga that is XBW today. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Wrestling Entertainment Network YouTube show. Uh, and we're going to get into them a little bit uh, later and tell you all about them. But we want to thank our good friends at the Wrestling Entertainment Network YouTube show. And uh, we want to thank you for keep listening and supporting. Uh, the audience keeps growing and growing. And if you want to know more about the podcast, you can go to RTI Pod on Twitter, uh, where uh, you'll see some social media every day on that and the instagram and facebook which is rediscovering the indies on both handles and you'll have an independent wrestling uh you know this day in independent wrestling history uh fact every single day we keep it updated we don't miss a day so check it out uh, lots of cool stuff we've had stuff up there from like 92 95 98 all the way until most recent 2019 so lots of uh cool uh little factoids for independent wrestling history. So check out the social media, like the social media, follow the social media as well as if uh, you can uh, review us. If you're listening to us on Apple, uh, review us on Apple, give us a great review, hopefully and uh, subscribe. Uh, the biggest thing is click subscribe on whatever uh, service you use, whether it's uh, you know, Google podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that. But uh, subscribe to us uh, so you get that alert right away when we're on every single month here. Uh, this episode, uh, we are releasing late into June, so uh, we do uh, apologize. We'd like to try to get in a little bit sooner, but uh, we still we're here for you every month. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get the uh, next month's episode out a little bit earlier than usual for you folks for being so patient this month of June, but, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get right into it here. Uh, where we left off was the XPW pay-per-view in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which looked to be the last XPW show for the time being here. You said pay-per-view, but it technically wasn't well, it was filmed as a pay-per-view. It was filmed as a pay-per-view. Yes. Uh, did not air at that point. Uh, but yes, it was filmed as a pay-per-view here, but, uh, we're going to get right into a March 24, 2003, following that event, uh, the wrestling column in the Philadelphia daily news. And then this is from the observer said that Greg Serb, who heads the Pennsylvania state athletic commission was telling fans who had been unable to get a refund on purchase tickets for the canceled February 15th XPW date uh, to call the Philadelphia district attorney's office. One would think if there was such a problem, that's the whole reason for the $10,000 bond promoters have to provide when they get a license, and that's the money that should be used. A similar thing happened here in California about 17 years ago. Leah Maivia, Rock's grandmother, ran a tour of her Honolulu-based Polynesian Pro Wrestling, which had gotten a weekly TV show on the old FNN score of California, and many, if not all, of the workers of the tour never got paid. 
wonder if that's going to be in Young Rock. Um, one wrestler contacted the commission right away to alert them since Maya Villa had to post a $10,000 bond to run in California at the time. A few weeks later, many uh, with many of the guys still haven't gotten paid, uh, they contacted the commission again, which informed them that they released a bond back to Maya Villa so there was no money to reimburse them on what was owed. Since the commission knew about the problems and didn't care about the people they were to protect, there was a pretty good reason why no one shed any tears when wrestling was deregulated here. So uh, obviously coming from Meltzer, being from California, and he knows that that incident pretty in depth here. Um, and that's know, that's actually weird that Philadelphia works that or Pennsylvania works that way because as far as I'm aware, at least what NYSEC, New York State Athletic Commission, have told uh, people in our industry that how New York runs is that you can't just call and get money off of a bond. You actually have to file a claim in small claims court, win the judgment, and then take it take the judgment to the state to get your money for the bond, which basically just means I'm not going to go – if I paid for a $20 ticket, I'm not going to go through small claims court. But it would also be – you know, it would just almost be impossible in some situations where – yeah, you can you can oh look, I bought a pre-sale ticket off this wrestler. <laughs> like they said, oh, What's the wrestler's just, name? I don't know his real name. You know, I think nowadays if this was enforced with online ticket sales, it'd be a lot easier. But we, we gotta look at two thousand three. I'm sure there was some online ticket sales, but I'm sure you know, they mail I'm sure mail in Pittsburgh they were put putting out like young kids, ring crew, like hey, sell tickets, mail order tickets, yeah, like so how how do you how do you really trace that? Um, and yeah, that bond. I mean, that's just for the state to have money. Let's just what it comes down to it. You know, you know, we we try to be a very biased show here, but uh, we're not a huge fan of athletic commissions and pro wrestling. Of us, at least me. <laughs> so, I, I don't think I, I, I think don't for think the that's safety of wrestlers, sure. But I don't think that to get every exclusive. dollar you can out of a promoter, everyone from from no matter what spectrum of wrestling you fall on whether you're the whether you're dave Meltzer or you're Cornette, everyone dislikes athletic commissions in one shape or another they're mostly money grabs um Meltzer also reported in the same uh observer that more xpw woes are that their uh april 4th and april 5th shows in los angeles have been canceled the date for their pay-per-view taped last week will be june the 5th um, now we're going to April, April 14th, 2003, just incredible mentioned in a website interview that he got a bounce check from XPW. Uh, there was a major raid on extremist associates, the parent porn company of XPW on April 8th, roughly 25 FBI agents, as well as postal inspectors arrived with a 10 page warrant confiscated five commercially marketed videotapes, including a controversial tape, which aired a rape scene. So the FBI taking down extreme associates. Rob Black sort of challenged them to go after him, too. So <laughs> what do you expect? Uh, April 21st, 2003, XPW scheduled return to Pittsburgh on April 19th was canceled due to the company's legal problems after the recent FBI raid on their office. Their taped pay-per-view date schedule is June 5th has been moved back. Oh, no. With no new date announced. So you can see this is... The writing on the wall. And it's funny because you could see the writing on the wall just the way the product that was being put out in the fiasco in Philadelphia with the ECW arena and all that. And But now that he actually – his porn studio is under fire from the FBI, you could tell that th- th- this was it. The fact that people thought, oh, that, they're, those, they're, they're canceling for now. but Yeah. 
And and you know, it's you got to put in perspective for these talents. Some of these guys are were from the independents and all that, but some of these people on this roster worked at ECW. They worked at WCW and they just went through this. Yeah. A year like 2 years ago and here they are again, especially a guy like Just Incredible. It's not the only company to bounce a check from him. So <laughs> I mean, ECW, I'm sure, bounced many a check. So it, it it also seemed like a lot of them were probably hoping that XPW could pick up where ECW left off and been very successful, considering they have legit money behind them. Yeah, and there was and 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 just a teaser on our next episode. Another company tried to do the same thing. Uh, that only lasted one show, though. So, um, so uh, on. Uh, May 12, 2003, from The Observer. XPW fans who purchased tickets for the May 17th proposed show in Philadelphia, which have been canceled, have yet to get refunds. So, still waiting on... Uh, so, so, it's been two who months. Who was buying pre-sale tickets that ahead of time, though, at this point for XPW? Some pretty diehards. Like, when you're considering the arena's not selling out, like, they're not selling out in Philly, so you don't really need to jump... To get tickets. The last Philadelphia show was February 14th uh, in 2003. And then they run the two shows in California. And then they're in Pittsburgh. If I was a fan of Philadelphia, I would, well, they might not come back. Or even though they're supposed to come back here, you know, like. Fans are optimistic. I guess so. There, there's fans that will travel across the country and pay for flights to go to indie shows. Like. Yeah, some true. fans are some fans are very dedicated. Uh, August 11, 2003, there is a taped XPW airing throughout the month of August. It's an XPW pay-per-view. So, uh, and do, do we know if that actually aired? Uh, it's a good question. I don't I'm not sure. Was it was it like a stone cutter media type thing? Bloody brawl. I assume like it's out there somewhere in some form. Um Maybe we'll, maybe we'll find out more information as we read on here. Yeah, I well, this is where it's going to get fun, and this is going to be the, a, a big theme of this show. Is you know we're, we're, we're talking we're talking court cases, we're talking trials. August eighteenth, two thousand three. XBW promoter Rob Zakari, aka Rob Black, and wife Janet Romano, aka Lizzie Borden, were indicted on ten counts. And face a maximum of 50 years in prison each in a test case on obscenity charges for allegedly distributing pornographic movies that depict rape and murder of women throughout the mail, through the mail and internet on August 7th. Uh, Zakari 29 and Romano 26, besides being the two of the highest profile distributors of porn material in the U.S. through their company Extreme Associates of Northridge, California, were also high profile promoters, performers in their own wrestling promotion. Started largely because Akari wanted to buy into ECW, was rebuffed, and tried to copy the ECW formula. Extreme Associates is a lightweight company as far as revenues, with annual sales at $20 million to $49.9 million of the estimated $4 billion industry. But its owners are high profile, the nature of the tapes, and they produce, and the constant need for attention and Zakari's psychotic public behavior. But that's still more money than ECW ever brought in, in yearly revenue, so... I can't. Paul should Paul should have let him invest. Yeah, it would have gave ECW at least a little bit more life until maybe this time. <laughs> um, 
Both are accused of sending tapes of obscene movies to a P.O. box near Pittsburgh, a wholesaler in Pittsburgh, and transmitting obscene footage on their website. While there are no federal laws uh, prohibiting either making or selling these type of videotapes, there are laws to prevent selling obscene material over the Internet and distributing videotapes and DVDs across state lines through the postal system. We're talking 2003 here, folks. Like th- th- These rules sound like they're from the 50s. But this was not that long ago. No, if I remember right, it might be met- mentioned later on, but I remember I doing my research that they found a county outside of Pittsburgh that had laws, had obscenity laws that would have made what was in the videos and the DVDs illegal when it wasn't illegal in other states and most, most states, most counties, but there was in this particular county. So the Bush era justice system set them up. Basically, they found they found a county that was conservative and that they could set them up for this. And Meltzer says, too, that they are a just a small piece of the pie of the giant pornography industry, which almost made them the perfect victim for the federal government. Ah, They're only putting in 20 million a year. They probably don't have all their ducks in a row. We got this. You know, going after a company like Vivid Entertainment or something like that around that time. I'm not sure if Brazzers was around, but. Did they probably couldn't win that? They they probably had a lot of firepower as far as attorneys and all that. Where they're looking at this guy, like, oh, there's no way we 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 can get this guy. I'm sure a lot of the other companies too had multiple people in charge. They could pass the buck. There was really no one you could pin something on. This there's one owner. Yeah, there's one. It's like why well, they went after Larry Flynn because he was yeah, you know, right there. Plus, we said like Rob Black was very, uh, very high profile. Maybe one of the most high profile individuals in the industry at that point uh xpw is back to the observer xpw which is a tape pay-per-view running this month has not run any house shows since running into financial difficulties earlier this year followed by an fbi raid of the company's offices on april 9th after the raid uh, zakari on the company website listed the tapes confiscated and offered them for sale calling them the federal five at a discount race, attempting to rub in the face authorities. <laughs> Both Sakari and Romano uh, face a maximum of 50 years in prison and $2.5 million in fines. If convicted, in addition to their company, Extreme Associates is facing another $5 million in fines. Three videos led to the indictment. Force Entry, which features a depiction of forcible rape produced in the presence of PBS cameramen filming a Frontline special who were so shocked and sickened by the scene that they stopped filming. During the interview, Zakari challenged Attorney General John Ashcroft to try and stop them, claiming the government could do any, any, couldn't do anything about could do anything about them. The other two videos were called "Cocktails Number Two and "Extreme Teen Number 24. This is the wrestling show, folks, which featured uh, an adult doing sex scenes with a girl playing the role of a preteen, although the woman was not underage who was performing the role. Um, uh, We'll stop there for a second. Uh, so we we've we're under the consensus, and and we'll touch on it later in the episode. That the you know other people were doing this, but they saw Rob Black as an easy target. And, and whether you agree with the type of pornography he was distributing or not, I mean, in today's world, that would not happen. And the, he was he was a scapegoat for the government to show like look we're 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 trying to bring morality you know it was a new like you said it was the Bush regime and they're trying to show that they're different and they're trying to sh- you know show you know you at this point two thousand three 
we're, we're in Iraq. You know what I mean? And Afghanistan. Yeah. So, like, any way you could show, hey, you know, we're cleaning up the country here, too, folks, for morality and all that. So, and and you got to remember 2003, the internet's there, but it's not what it is today. Pornography isn't this, like, not that it's okay in society, but, it, I mean, it, it, it it's pretty much tolerated. Like, it's not, you know, it's it, it's accepted where, oh, yeah, pornography exists, you know. No, there's not tons of politicians going after it and all that. But in this era, there still was a little bit of that. Uh, and then we'll get into it, too. The actual – the uh, the federal prosecutor, Mary Beth Buchanan, uh, she's had a little history, too. Uh, the uh, attorney for Western District of Pennsylvania, she also presided over the – or also prosecuted the United States versus Tommy Chong uh, case – where actor Tommy Chong was indicted over selling drug paraphernalia, which you might know more about the case than I do, but I believe it was about uh, it was just about pipes, but that the government said could be used. For yeah, drugs. it's you know their head shops were popping up in Tommy Chong, you know, very very popular. I can't remember if he owned head shops or he had just a line of headshot paraphernalia or what it was but uh that really the that really set like the stove set of like well we know what it's for but they could say tobacco yeah you know um but yeah i mean that's another morality thing you know what i mean like and and they went after tommy chong because he was high profile guy yeah and then this 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 pornography like it's they're actors acting a scene you know what i mean if you at the end of the day if you watch a movie and there's a rape scene in it, like a movie made by Paramount Pictures. Not saying Paramount's going to do that. I'm just, you know, and there's, you know, a rape scene in it. Like, obviously, it's not going to be as obscene as a pornography and all that. But, like, no one's trying to take down Paramount Pictures and all that. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's a movie. Whether it's pornographic or not, it's a movie. And I'm not I'm not saying I agree with it or anything. Like, I'm, I, I wouldn't watch that. But. I would not watch that, but, like, I'm just saying, like, it's, at the end of the day, like, you're just, you have certain interests, and you're, like, you don't like pornography, and you're going after pornography. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's really what it comes down to it. But, I mean, what I was getting to was, he's really kind of bringing this on himself. He's yeah. calling out John Ashcroft, he's telling the government they can't do anything, and he's selling the porno tapes. Yeah. Calling him the federal fine. By the way, when we end the show, we got some Rob Black news. Um, yeah. And, and and just going back really quick because I just I brought it up. Uh, another little thing about Mary Beth Buchanan. Besides the Tommy Chong incident, uh, in 2006, uh, she prosecuted Karen Fletcher of suburban Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who was indicted on six charges of distributing obscene materials over the Internet. Uh, she wrote fiction uh, over – that included uh, molesting, rape, torture, and murders of children. No pictures, no video, just uh, just novels. So whether you agree with that or not, that's, this shows that Mary Beth is really going after uh, anything she sees. She has an as, agenda. Yeah. yeah, she has an agenda to go after what she, what she believes is obscene material of any type. 
Uh, the Los Angeles Times said the U.S. Justice Department promised this would only be the start of the wave of criminal cases against people in the porn industry, which I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was the only one. Uh, <laughs> Ashcroft had, has promised to crack down on the distribution of adult materials such as movies, magazines, and websites. Today's indictment marks an important step in the Department of Justice strategy for attacking the proliferation of adult obscenity. Ashcroft told Times, he said that the, his department will continue to focus our efforts on targeted obscenity prosecutions that will deter others from producing and distributing obscene material. Um, and after getting and, and this, this is kind of gives a uh, brief synopsis, but this is a pretty good overview of what we've gone over. But they say after getting into the wrestling industry, XBW attempted to wage war against ECW, which came to head by attempting to make a scene during the ECW pay-per-view on July 16, 2000 in the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, which resulted in a legitimate fight outside the building with wrestlers and personnel from both companies while the show itself was in progress. The fight never aired, although there were moments on, of tension visible on the show. Zakari had purchased 650 hours worth of tickets for the show and through an intermediary had given word to ECW there'd be no problems at the show. At one point during the show, Rhino threw a beer at Canada in the direction of XBW contingent in the front row. Uh, Supreme and XBW top star started yelling at Rhino, who never acknowledged him, just as the main event of Just Incredible and Tommy Dreamer started. Uh, XBW valet extreme associates porn star Christy Mist took off her shirt, revealing a black leather bra, stealing the crowd's attention from the main event. However, none of this was evident to viewers on pay-per-view. The infuriated Francine, uh, who was su- supposed to do a spot where she would lose her top and be left in a bra as the focal point of the main event. Uh, the two started shoving each other. Mist went uh, down from the shove and from a security guard who knocked Supreme into Mist. Joey Styles did refer to the incident uh, that wasn't shown, saying a drunk fan had did, had done something to Francine while the ECW locker room emptied and rushed the air, to the area looking for a fight. The cameras were told to stay away from the scene, although not shown. It was evident from the crowd reactions there was a fight in the stands. Fans were getting knocked down in the altercation, and security and the ECW wrestlers chased the XBW wrestlers out of the building. Uh, out of the building, from the fight continued, which about two, 20 ECW personnel and seven from XBW, no charges were filed. So that's kind of a stopsable, a big part of episode two that that, that we went over there. Uh, in 2002, XBW started promoting shows at Viking Hall. This, and this is episode three, a good episode three review for us here. The old home ECW, but drew poorly. Zakari signed then an expensive exclusive lease with the building, forcing CZW and 3BW to stop running the Prime Arena. However, after drawing poorly with one show doing barely 100 paid, the company defaulted on its lease and ended up being kicked out of the building. So, yeah, that just kind of gives you some analysis of XBW and probably their two of their biggest mainstream things that we went into detail here. And how we got to the point we're at now. Uh, in episode two, we cover that fight. In episode three, we do cover them running the ECW arena. January 12, 2004, Rob Black's position in the porn world has changed with the test obscenity charge against him. Black is usually considered persona non grata in that industry, but he's been kind of forced to be taken back and since he's become the government's test case regarding obscenity and free speech. He's now blaming XPW for his finance, personal financial ruin, saying between his losses in wrestling and funding his current legal battle, he's drained his entire empire. He's claimed in online interviews that his wrestling dreams cost him everything and advised people to stick with businesses that you know. Black was hated in the porn world because there was a fear his way out there that porn movies would bring heat on the entire industry, which proved to be correct. 
Uh, but everyone to support him because if he loses, uh, the fear is the government will start going after an, another pornographers. Um, they're going after other pornographers. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's XPW's fault that I'm in financial. <laughs> you ran XPW. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean, he kind of was saying maybe you shouldn't get in business. You don't know. But we talked about it. There was decisions made. XPW could have had a more financial being. There was room for an XPW. Drawing on the outskirts of Los Angeles, they drew hundreds of fans, maybe even thousands. There was a lot of mistakes made. We talked talk about the West Coast and how it's so weird that the East Coast, like, it's been so wrestling centric, especially independent wrestling and all that. And the West Coast has been this like we didn't really get to start to know about West Coast guys until around two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, you know, and then PWG blew up and all that. Mostly until like Ring of Honor started up and yeah. started importing guys. He could have made himself a nice little nest egg just being an independent, running in California, and then by the time that the internet was starting to explode, boom. I mean, and this is granted, you know, this doesn't happen, the, the federal indictment, but he 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 wanted to be this big national thing. And what he didn't understand that, I mean, ECW, it took them four years to get pay-per-view and be national. And they didn't get a TV deal until six years in existence. And he, did, he tried to do all this in his first two years. And ECW was in the red from 96 onward. Yeah. I, and, you know, and I... Like, whether you like death matches and and, and teased, you know, obscenity and all that, at that point, and we talked about it, at that point in society, there was a market for that. And he just, there were some decisions made along the way that just weren't smart, you know, in my opinion, you know, sorry, but. And 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 that's why yeah. he lost money. I mean, a lot of it would have been business decisions. I think, as we've explained, like running the LA Sports Arena and then trying to run the East Coast. Um, yeah, I don't even know if ECW would have survived in the early two thousands. How everything changed? Hey. Like, obviously, like indie wrestling transformed from the adult entertainment product, adult oriented product to ECW, and kind of evolved into what Ring of Honor became. So would have would ECW if they would have stayed at that adult product would they have survived? Heyman swears that he was going to turn into like the Ring of Honor type product. He, he says that's that now. He, claims, he says yeah. that now. He claims, "Oh, Loki, I was talking to Loki, and I had my eyes on Daniel." Yeah, he had and, Punk, and he had know, Hero. Joe, he, yeah. he knew Joe too. Forget like so. I mean, the the, the long standard word is when. Gabe and Feinstein were starting to bring of honor. They had consulted with. It would uh, make sense that with Gabe, Heyman Gabe and Heyman. Call Heyman yeah. yeah, Heyman threw those names at him, which I could see. But at the same time, was Feinstein Heyman, would have knew those names though because he had been recording CCW and all yeah. that. Like you've been selling Jersey those videos. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think Heyman was really watching indies every weekend at that point. Yeah. I think Heyman knew what guys told him. Oh yeah, this low key guy, like towards the end there, and yeah. Oh yeah, this. I mean, you look at Matt Bentley works those final shows. Like, the, I mean, and Heyman's not technically really around because he wasn't at these shows, but I'm sure it was yeah. one of those things. So Christopher guy, Daniels did. This a guy's loop. getting a buzz. He's uh, he's working for he's a Shawn Michaels trainee. Yeah. You know? Um. So, 
Remember our old buddy Gary Yap? Yeah, the promoter of uh, promoter of Epic Epic Wrestling, uh, who uh, had some issues. It, of his it, own. It had some issues. Well, yeah. So uh, August twenty third, two thousand four. This is from Figure Four Weekly from Alvarez. Gary Yap, a former promoter in South, Southern California, was arrested last week on char- charges of wrongful cruelty to a child and four charges of grand theft. He's currently being held in the Southwest Los Angeles Detention Center on $15,000 bail. So a guy that kind of questioned the credibility of Rob Black as a person uh, didn't seem like too great of a guy himself. I, I, I made the comment to you earlier in the week when we were when I was starting to do research on next month's show. and It seems like we're always dealing with court cases <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, just a teaser. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be talking indictments and all that. <laughs> Not as in-depth as this show, but we'll be talking that on the next episode. And we're, we'll tell you at the end of the episode what that topic is. Um, August 6, 2006, uh, Nicole Bass and Howard Stern said that she was not doing well physically and was pretty much broke due to her legal bills uh, amassed uh, when she tried to sue WWE for – now, by the way, folks, we've skipped a little ahead here as Rob Black's been indicted, but we have not gotten to the actual case yet. Yeah, we're two and a half years in. Like Everyone knows like federal court case is going to take a long time. Yeah. So basically nothing is going on with XPW right now. They're not running shows, obviously. So we're kind of like skipping. Nothing really new, uh, newsworthy happened in 2005, but we're skipping to August 2006 at this point. Yep. So like I said, we're here in 2006. Nicole Bass says that she tried to sue WWE for sexual harassment and alleged injury when Jeff Jarrett hit her with a guitar she claimed was ungimmicked. Uh, I don't know what be, the, the, did, did, did it ruin her life like Jake Snake Roberts blamed Honky Talk Man? I coincidentally, coincidentally uh, my roommates and I were actually, we've been going through and watching the classic Attitude Era Raws. This one came up about a week ago and watched it a few times over and over again. It. I think it was a gimmick guitar because at the time all those guitars were gimmicked, but Jared didn't hold back. He swung for the fences. Yeah. So I think that was probably said, give it to me. Like listening to my world with Jeff Jarrett, I have earned so much respect for the guy. Not that I didn't respect him, but like he is becoming more and more one of my favorite people in wrestling. He he pulls no punches, but he, he was pretty honest, you know, and I, I, and I, I, I'd like to hear his story on that. I, I'm, I assume it's going to come up. Uh, WWE was planning on calling Rob Black of XPW to court to testify that she was taking bumps on his show during the period that she was supposed to be injured. Well, talk about strange bedfellows. WWE was going to call Rob Black, who was in a case of his own, <laughs> to testify on their behalf. I just, when I would think. Uh, APW Roland Alexander calling Bruce Hart to testify on his this behalf. Is right like up this there. is yeah. Um, she was hospitalized a few years back to several cysts in her pancreas, developing into an infection. She lost over fifty pounds for various reasons. At one point, she was in such bad shape that she couldn't recognize anyone, including her husband Bob, and her chances of survival were listed at fifty percent. Then, years later, when she was uh, unable to fill an oxycontin prescription, she went on a mad drinking binge, threatened to slit her wrist and kill Bob, who was fifty-seven at the time, and then bit the hand of a cop when they came to arrest her. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Nicole Bass is one of those sad stories when it comes to. Uh, to, to professional wrestling, you know, in that period with drug use and injuries and all that. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think she did fall into that trope of a lot of Howard Stern whack pack individuals where 
they were laughed and pointed at more than anything, and they were there to be jokes. And a lot of them just ended up with a lot of personal issues. I think you get to a point where in the beginning it's like, wow, I'm famous. I'm making money. But then it's like, whoa, why am I making money? You know, you know, why am I famous? And we, we unfortunately lost Nicole uh, February 17th uh, in 2017. So, like, you know, it's it's you know, it's a shame, uh, you know, and, and they're just watching this and, you know, watching you know, a lot of the dark side of the rings and the China documentary. And it's, it's, it, you know, people, I'm going to say this for now. People want to crap on today's business. All these kids, they don't, they're, 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 they're flippy floppy and they're not this. And, uh, you know, they're not cave. They're playing video games and they're not party and hardcore. And I can tell you that I can go to a wrestling show I don't see any drugs, <laughs> you know, people like the big thing is, hey, where are we going to go to to eat? And, and, and after the show and you know what? I, I don't see people's lives spiraling. Yeah, maybe they're injured a little bit, but they're doing things like CBD and physical therapy and stuff like that. You know, I've, I've seen they got the cool like drill thing for your back. Like uh, wrestlers today are more cognitive of taking care of their injuries when even when I started uh, in the early 2000s, the mentality was, oh, you're hurt. You just just work through it. And, and it, I think people being more cognitive about that now are like, no, I got to take care of this now. Uh, January 29, 2007, the newest attempt at a wrestling uh, company startup, Wrestling Society X. One of my favorite promotion, short-lived promotions, uh, officially debuts uh, Tuesday, January 30th, head-to-head with the second half hour of ECW. Through the pilot will air uh, somewhat quietly this coming Friday at 11 o'clock p.m. Uh, WWE CW. Yeah, the, yes, yes, yeah, uh, and, and, and this is from the Observer. Uh, the, the group was forced by Kevin was formed founded. I'm sorry, by Kevin Kleinrock, formerly of XPW and the owner of the DVD distributor Big Vision Entertainment. They shot a pilot in February 2006, featuring a number of independent workers and a few big names, including Sean Waltman, Vampiro, and New Jack. Everyone was asked to sign agreements stating that if the show was picked up, they commit to the entire season. Uh, everyone signed, with the exception of Delirious, though not everyone ended up being brought back, including Just Incredible and sadly New Jack. Uh, it actually became a source of comedy for a while when every week was said to be the week of the announcement of the show being picked up would be made. It took over six months and then it took another several weeks for MTV to actually send out press. And, you know, this is one of those things that we'll talk about the influence of XBW. And, you know, you know coaching trees, right? You know, and we I, I mentioned this in the first episode, but it's been now three months. A lot of people like to talk about NFL coaching trees and like, well, look, this coach spawned this coach and this coach and this coach and this coach. And if you look at who Rob Black helped put in the business, it's not a bad track record. You know, I mean, Kevin Kleinrock, Wrestling Society X is what it was. If it would have been just an independent promotion, not an MTV, it probably would have had more life. Uh, But, you know, MTV was just kind of cycling through shows at that time. And doing a wrestling show in 2007, if it wasn't doing crazy, uh, you know, crazy, crazy ratings, uh, the life that a company would probably give it wouldn't be that much. 
but we talk about him. We talk about Ryan Katz, a produ- who was a producer for NXT, uh, an- another guy that you know was under the wing of Rob Black, and then Dave Marquez. Yeah, D- Dave Marquez, who you know would go on and do a lot of stuff with the NWA and Championship Wrestling Hollywood and the United Wrestling Network, like some you know brilliant guy. And Kevin Clyburn, uh now he does um, uh, Lucha. Mass Republic, yes, or Mass okay. Republic uh, company. So, I mean, these are guys that are still active and and and, and really kind of like those unsung heroes of of wrestling and independent wrestling. Uh, not, I mean, you got to remember that you got to give Rob Black his credit when when it's due. You know, whether can you really contribute to success of these guys? But I mean, he gave them a platform, you know, to get them started. Yeah, or I, get them I more experience. Fully agree, and then I. Just when I when you read that uh, section about uh, signing agreements to commit to the entire season, I'm just rolling my eyes to get Lucha Underground. Yeah, but that's what happens when TV production companies are involved in wrestling. And and Lucha and, and Lucha Underground heavily influenced by Wrestling Society. Oh X. yeah. And then if you look, Wrestling Society X is influenced by XBW. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's. It, it, it's it's definitely a tree of influence, uh, and now MLW's product is being influenced by Lucha Underground. You see how it just keeps yeah. coming, you know. Um, Marta, now we are at the trial, March twenty third. Oh, nearly six months later. Yep, six months, uh, March twenty third, uh, two thousand nine. Here, uh, yeah, six years later. Six, yep, yeah. uh, just before a trial of obscenity charge was about to go. Uh, go to trial. Former wrestling promoter Rob Zakari, Rob Black, uh, who ran XPW to uh, 35, and wife Janet Romano, uh, 32, pleaded guilty in federal court in Pittsburgh to a charge of conspiracy to distribute obscene materials. The plea bargain came in exchange for dropping nine courts of violating federal states or obscenity regarding pornographic tapes through the mail. They face as much as $5 million in fine and 50 years in prison if they've been convicted for all the counts in a trial, including a six-year-long ordeal, which was largely responsible for the death of the XPW promotion because they had to gather the resources for the defense. Uh, they will be sentenced in July. Zakari also pleaded guilty uh, for Extreme Associates, the company they owned until it was shut down in the wake of the indictments. The business exists uh, on paper, but hasn't pro- uh, operated in some time. Zakari's attorney, H. Lewis Serkin, said they pleaded guilty because prosecutors agreed not to calculate how much they earned from the porn business. The charges were originally thrown out by U.S. District uh, Judge Gary Lancaster four years ago, who said the people had the right to view the material in the privacy of their own home and Extreme Associates had the right to distribute it. However, the government appealed on the argument that the Supreme Court ruled federal obscenity statutes don't violate people's rights to privacy. The defense said it was seeking uh, that both Sakari and Romano spend 10 to 16 months in prison, half of which could uh, be served in a halfway house. The government said it was asking for 27 to 33 months in prison, and they're also facing as much as $500,000 in fines. So it was thrown out, and then the government kept pursuing it. Do you think they should have kept fighting it? I feel like, especially at this you mean, point... You mean for the government or Rob Black? It's Rob Black. I hey, listen, our U.S. judge already threw this out. I mean, in 2009, he should have, because now we have the Obama administration. I, you know, I... I, I mean... I don't want to get too political, but obviously that's the government strategy was delay it for six years and basically just bankrupt Rob Black. 
So at that point, at this point, he probably didn't have much money remaining to continue to fight it. By the way, we didn't touch about this. Uh, there was a show called XPW Cold Day Hell in 2008, May 24th, not run by Rob Black in Renando Beach, California. Um, and there was a Dynamite D Battle Royal, which was won by Carnage. Chaos defeated Vampire in a singles match. GQ Money uh, defeated Angel. The Sandman defeated Pogo the Clown uh, in a tag team match with special guest referee Terry Funk. Concussion and Homeless Jimmy defeated Johnny Webb and Raven. Then you had Team XPW, Jardy France, Vinny Massaro, and X-Pac defeating Team Rev Pro, which was Disco Machine, um, Joey Ryan, and Ron Rivera. Uh, Luke Hawks uh, defeated Jack Evans and Scorpio Sky in a three-way match. And a tag team match of the gangsters, Mustafa Nujak uh, defeated Big Rot and Chronic. With an, oh, I'm sorry, it was, a, it was a no contest. And then XPW, King of the Death Match title, No Ropes, Barbed Wire, Thumbtacks, Battle Light Tubes, Death Match, Supreme defeated Necro Butcher. So there's a fun fact. Necro Butcher wrestled in XPW. Uh, and so, well, actually, Disco Machine's on the early ones, too. So, um, so yeah, so... Just a random one-off show. That and this looks involve. to be Rev Pro probably helped put this on based on the talent roster. Yeah. You know, and I think, like, Wallman's in Los Angeles at that time, so he's probably easy to get. And, you know, Sandman's like a staple. So, all right. So moving moving back on to the notes here, um, some more Observer. Uh, June second, two 2009, XPW is apparently set to return. The new version, uh, the first of which was owned by porn director Rob Black, will be backed by Big Vision Entertainment and will run the 10th anniversary show on August 1st somewhere in Los Angeles. So it looks like Kevin Kleinrock trying to get back in the business again here and figures, you know what, hey, I'll try to bring XBW back. Uh, July 13, 2009, this was the sentencing. Former XBW promoter Rob Zakari and wife Janet Romano were both sentenced to 366 days in jail and two years probation after pleading guilty to obscenity charges in a six-year-old case that largely spelled doom for the wrestling company. Known as Rob Black, owner of porn company Extreme Associates, Zakari was enamored by ECW and wanted to buy into the company. When that didn't happen, he wanted to form a company similar to it. XBW was a money pit. Uh, but it was kept alive until Zakari was charged in 2003 with selling videos through the mail featuring graphic scenes of simulated rape, torture, defecation, and murder. The government's case was torn out in 2005, but it was reinstated in 2006. Um, and just to follow up on that, July 27, 2009, the XPW promotion that folded years ago when Rob Black was indicted from an obscenity case reported on last week is doing a 10th anniversary show. On August 22nd in Los Angeles, this promotion, the promotion debuted on July 31st, 1999 in nearby Reseda. Thus far, uh, they're mostly using local wrestler regulars like Supreme, Homeless Jimmy, Luke Hawks, Johnny Webb, Angel, and Scorpio Sky. Um, so, yeah, so, we'll, and we'll, we're going to go over the results of the 10th year anniversary show in a little bit here. Uh, do you think... Yes, he's being indicted and he's got all this going on. But do you think that somehow Rob's talking to Kevin Kleinrock? Like, hey, you know, we'll do this 10th anniversary show. And then, you you know, and when you get out or when this is over with, like, or I mean, because why carry the XBW brand? Like, at that point, what value does it have in 2009? Uh, I see it more as the same reason why there's still ECW unofficial ECW reunion shows to this day when you have random indie feds 
especially in the Northeast, we'll just book a bunch of ECW guys and call it Hardcore Reunion or a variation of that. I think people just grasping at it. And this, it's 10 years, so I could see them being like, all right, let's run, let's run a show and let's gauge interest. See what, maybe there's interest. Maybe they're going to, maybe fans are going to come out for it. So, one one, one thing uh, um, that I want, want to get into here, uh, let's see here, we'll look at the notes here. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into this right now. We'll talk We'll talk about the 10th anniversary show. Yeah, let's go over the results of that one. We'll, let's go with that, and then we'll kind of like go over some XPW stuff in, in the details like that. So, XPW 10-year anniversary, uh, August 22nd, 2009, uh, we had a six-man tag team match where Joey Dynamite, Osa Loco, and Steve Payne. Uh, defeated Clay Motley, Lucha Machine, and the Rookie 88 in a Dynamite D Memorial uh, World Famous Corner six-way match. Marcus Riot defeated Shamira, uh, Damian Arsenic, uh, and Famous B, and Jerome Robinson and Willie Mack. Starting to see some guys that would pop in Lucha Underground. Uh, the red-headed stepchild and the stepfather in a tag team match defeated BC Killer and Robbie Phoenix. Uh, you get Homeless Jimmy uh, defeating Baby Slim and an eight... Uh, Man tag team match with Christina Von Ari, El Chupacabra, Dante, and Timothy Thatcher. There's, a, I think that might be the tidbit to take from this episode. Yeah. Timothy Thatcher wrestled an XPW show, and they defeated Cawthorn, Johnny Webb, Matt Classic, uh, and Thunder Kitty. Thunder Kitty, another one. Uh, GQ Money uh, defeated Mr. McPhenom. Monica Massaro and Vinny Massaro uh, defeated Joey Ryan and Lizzie Valentine. I'm only saying his name because of the results, folks. Uh, Pogo the Clown uh, defeating Leroy in a singles match. Uh, singles match, Matt Cross and Scorpio Sky went to a time limit draw. Uh, tag team match, Luke Hawks and Scorpio Sky defeat Matt Cross and Tool. In a burned in hell grudge match, Carnage defeated Youth Suicide, who we actually saw in Wrestling Society X, uh, with Vic Grimes. And then in an XPW King of the Deathmatch title, um, Supreme defeated Angel. Uh, and that, folks, would kind of be the last XPW show on record. And I say kind of be because in 2011, in which we could talk about right now, because we don't have really anything in notes until 2013, but I want to segue into some side talk in a minute. But there was an XPW versus Peros de Mal show in Mexico in 2011. And it saw a three-way match with Dynamic Black uh, defeating Alan Extreme and Dragonfly. Uh, Drastic Boy and Tribal uh, defeating Dynastro and Konami. Celestial and Cosmico defeating Mr. Mini Aguila and Mini Talisman. Uh, Six-man tag match. Uh, you had Dr. Extreme, Eric Benlam, Peligro defeating Blackfire, Tony Rivera, and Zumbi. Uh, two out of three falls strip tease match. Lolita defeating Sexy Star uh, in two out of three falls. And then you had the eight-man tag, which really seems to be the only XPW influence on the whole show. Uh, Los Perros de Mal, which was Besita, Damian, Halloween, and X-Fly defeated Carnage, Johnny Webb, Chaos, and Supreme. Uh, attendance was around 850. I don't know if I would call this an actual xpw show it just seems like uh they just booked a handful of xpw guys and slapped that name on there but you're in mexico like what are you going to draw based on that once again what is the is the brand value that much you know 
I mean, Peros de Mall to me is is much more of a brand value at that time than XPW. You you don't need the XPW rub. What's maybe the guys in the main event like sold it to the promotion? And be like, hey, you book us, you can promote it as XPW, an XPW match. I don't know. Well, let, well, let's talk about the two shows. These last two shows, um, just kind of dissect them a little bit. So the XPW ten year anniversary. Now. It's an anniversary show, right? So you're expecting as many people as you can get from the past a lot. And if you really, really look at this show, you got Homeless Jimmy, Johnny Webb, uh, GQ Money, Vinny Massaro, mm, Pogo 5. I mean, I do you want to count Scorpio Sky because he did work some early shows? Maybe. If you count them six, Luke Hawk seven, Carnage eight, Supreme and Angel. So ten wrestlers of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, 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 twenty. I mean, there's over forty wrestlers, and only ten of them were were parts of the original XBW. And it's a tenth anniversary show. Yes, but it's also six years later. I understand that, but it just—it was just a California indie show that they just happened to slap XBW's name on it. I mean, a somewhat notable local indie fed in Central New York called Two CW is starting back up to do a few reunion shows in a few months, and it's been six years, and we're running the same issue. <laughs> that there's a lot of the guys either signed uh, or. Are retired and not interested in coming out to work the reunion show. So that happens when you have such a large gap. I mean, I I, I, I guess so, but still, like, uh, if you're doing an ECW reunion show, what right, ECW ended in 2001, WWE did One Night Stand in 2006. How many of the guys in that show were not already WWE contracted wrestlers? Not not many. A lot, a lot of them weren't the night before Extreme Union. But even Extreme Union, there was there wasn't that. It wasn't a full like ten, twelve match card with guys. You ha- you had who was available. Yeah, no, I mean it was it was close. Um, all right, and then the Me- the Lucha show, which we already kind of touched about. Uh, I like. I don't know if this was. Something where Bese- what where Damien and Halloween wanted to kind of give back to XPW, kind of giving them a you know you give them a lot of bookings in North America after WCW closed or after they were the WCW contracts were terminated. And it was like kind of a a thank you. And who would arrange that deal? Because we don't have anything in the notes. I'm curious of who would have arranged that. Or was like chaos? Maybe talking to Damien or Halloween, and hey, let's do this. Like, I don't know. That's that's suburban uh, Mexico City, so it's not like it's Tijuana right across the border either. Like you're deep into Mexico. Uh, and you know, before I before we get into more notes, because you know this won't be a super long show as usual, but I, I want to give our fans as much time as possible here. Um. Well, you know, we'll talk about these two notes, and then we can get into the, what I want to talk about. Uh, June 13th, uh, 2013, 
uh, Ryan Katz, who was GQ Money and XBW, was the ring announcer for MTV Wrestling Society X, was hired as a producer for NXT. Uh, and then uh, on July 8th, 2013, from The Observer, Rob Black announced that he would be restarting XBW on a show on October 31st in Los Angeles, featuring a 12-man tournament for the XBW title. And, and that hasn't... Uh, it still not happened. That, that that did not happen in uh, in 2013 on August 31st. Now, so wanted to let's get into uh, this. There was a theory, or more of a, I guess theory would be, or just an idea that was put out there. Would did anyone heavily report? I don't know, but before the pandemic happened. And WrestleMania was supposed to be in Los Angeles in 2021. There was a theory that if you were going to do an XPW reunion show, you know, and maybe like, in, you know, especially in, in honor of like Supreme and all that, that Los Angeles would have been the way to go and to do that. Uh, and you could have got like chaos and Johnny Webb and a few others, um, you know, but like Scorpio sky and others like that, that they could have, qualified as xpw alumni but that would have been a perfect idea for a wrestlemedia weekend show as part of like the collective or whatever iwtv was doing yeah uh, you know i mean uh, i mean everything has changed since the pandemic but yeah, i know it would have been i could have seen that drawing i mean i think it would have been better in blackcraft yeah <laughs> i just think it would have you could have ran xpw in jersey city and still drew better <laughs> Well, the collective did, or the the Blackrift did draw terrible. It just the show was ran terrible. Um, but yeah, I know there was rumblings of that, and you know we can, you know, we can go a little bit towards here. We can kind of like talk about the future of XPW because it might not be over, <laughs> according to what I'm reading on Facebook <laughs> and all that. So, uh, but. You know, the, there was rumblings of that, and I know, you know, in the deathmatch world of today, where you have, I mean, Mid-South has almost had a resurgence. You know, it seems like they're doing good business again, and they're becoming more of a, you know, oh yeah, this place is good wrestlers, and because of the popularization of deathmatch wrestling. And I mean, Nick Gage, if that tells you anything, this guy is probably one of the most popular independent wrestlers in the country. And he's a deathmatch wrestler. Uh, you know, deathmatch wrestling is seen in a completely different light in 2021 than it was in 2003 or 2010 when XBW tried to come back. Uh, with the obscenity stuff. No, there's, there is absolutely, there's absolutely no, nothing there for that you know um but for the deathmatch style and the crazy spots and the scaffolds and maybe not the scaffolds but it, it, it wouldn't be the worst idea no for xbw to come back now maybe not but better than ever if they're a deathmatch centric fed with maybe some good like style matches. Yeah, I mean when you looked at it at that point in time how they were perceived, but then you look at what deathmatch has become and there's a lot deathmatches use a lot more 
weapons are a lot have pushed the limit a lot farther nowadays than XPW ever did. I think XPW would seem very tame by today's standards, at least with the deathmatch, the deathmatch ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, like I said, I, I think that, you know, thumbtacks and this and that, I, you see what some of the stuff that Game Changer Wrestling does or Mid-South does or ICW, ICW yeah. do, does, and it, it, it's, some of the stuff's not as crazy. Uh, XP didn't do crazy stuff like they do in some aspects. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, I feel like, you know, Chris Kloss is a guy that probably would fit perfect if he was if he was doing play by play for Game Changer or ICW or like yeah. that, you know, and, you know, n- nothing against Kevin Gill and struggles. I think you know they do great for what they do. But I'm saying that Chris Kloss can be fit into that mold. I it it, it kind of makes sense that if XPW were to come back, this would probably be the best time period uh, to do it. You know, and uh, you know Rob Black. You know we could talk talk about it a little bit here after the Supreme obituary. Um, you know, but, uh, I mean, he, he, he's out of jail, <laughs> you know, he's, he's been out for a while. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so let's get into, which might've been the one guy to stick with Rob Black all the way to the end there. Supreme, uh, we unfortunately lost him May 11, 2020 Lester, uh, I'm sorry, we lost him May 6, but this is from the May 11 observer lost at Perfers, uh, best known, uh, as the Deathmatch King Supreme. Uh, in the California-based extreme pro wrestling promotion, uh, passed away May 6th due to a heart attack. Born on uh, May 30th, 1979, he was a few weeks away shy of his 50th birthday. His nephew, Joey Munoz, who uh, wrestled as Chaos and was his frequent tag team partner, said, I'm at a loss for words. My uncle, my hero, my reason I have a life in pro wrestling, Lester, a.k.a. Supreme, passed away this morning. My heart is dropped, broken, and numb. I'm at a loss for this thing. Tighten up. Come here. All right, guys. Here's the situation. Two minutes left. Zero timeouts. Down by a touchdown. we got to drive 75 yards. All right? We can do this thing. I believe in each and every one of you. But real quick, did you guys know that the Two Point Conversation podcast runs five days a week, Monday through Friday, with various co-hosts and different themes every day? And then you can listen to them on BICBP-radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. So what's the play? Just, all right, just, come on, hurry up. Get to the line and just run, and I will get it to somebody, all right? Come on, on three. Ready. Set. Mother. Delay of game. Offense. 